Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown. This is Chris Cotillo coming to you from Comerica Park in Detroit, where the Red Sox are taking on the Tigers in a three-game series to close their opening road trip. Excited to share with you a sit-down interview I just did with Haim Bloom, the Chief Baseball Officer of the Red Sox. We get into a lot of topics, obviously the Garrett Whitlock extension that he signed over the weekend, his talks with Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts, his expectations for 2022, and even some personal stuff, like if he reads what you all say about him on Twitter. So without further ado, here's Heim Bloom coming to you from Comerica Park today. So we're here live at Comerica Park with Chief Baseball Officer Heim Bloom, and now I've been told that everybody's now calling you Mr. Heim after Garrett Whitlock kind of endearingly did that the other day. To start, does that just kind of speak to the kind of guy Garrett is, the, the amount of you know respect as polite as he's been in the last year? Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that, um, and I'm not sure about how I feel about it catching on, but it is catching on. Um, look, I mean, you couldn't find a better person in this organization than Garrett. That's part of why, uh, in addition to the on-field talent and the competitiveness he has, that's part of why, uh, you know, we approached him about about making this commitment. So that's where I wanted to start. Obviously, that's big news from over the weekend. You know, he signs a, goes from being a Rule 5 pick 16 months ago to a guy who's signing a four-year deal. Um, you know, it's not the biggest commitment the Red Sox are ever going to make, but it's still, you know, to commit to a Rule 5 guy a year later who's really, you know, like I said, endeared himself to everybody in the organization. What did that deal mean for you, and what did it mean for him? Yeah, I mean, it's it really goes to who he is uh, as a player and as a person. I think especially when you're making these types of, uh, of commitments and these types of agreements early in a player's career, the belief in the person and that the contract is not going to change the person uh, is so important. Uh, to whether you approach somebody and you know certainly with with Garrett I mean we we everything that the way it looks from the outside is the way it is on the inside uh he's just an incredible human being and uh, you know there's I, I can't imagine having more faith in someone that they're not going to change when they come into some financial security and from our perspective you know you could say you look at the last you know year year and a half of his life and his career and you could say we're sticking our necks out a little bit on him or for him, and that's that's part of what these these deals are, where the organization and the player decide to share the risk and the upside when you do something like this early in someone's career. And knowing him, seeing what he's done on the field, uh, the upside that we believe is still there beyond what he's already done, and then knowing the person and what goes into it and the work ethic and how much he cares, uh, really at the end of the day, uh, it's something we felt really good about. So that's one extension you did get done, and I know you probably don't want to talk too 
in too much depth about these, but there are extensions that you didn't get done during spring training, namely Raphael Devers, Andrew Bogarts. Both of those guys, you know, said that the team made them offers and that, you know, a deal obviously didn't get done before opening day. As much as you want to, how would you characterize those talks and how would you characterize that process with those guys? Yeah, and, you know, you know this is not not a surprise. I don't love getting into too much detail on these types of things unless we actually do get to a deal. Yeah. Um, I think it's really the players, up to the players, to how much they want to say. Um, but, you know, basically, you know, obviously both those guys have talked about it uh, to varying degrees. And, you know, we would love to have both guys here for a long time. We want to do it in a way that makes sense for them and makes sense for us. And obviously this spring uh, we didn't find that path, but we still want to have them here, and, and hopefully we will find it. And, you know, I've made the offer already that as Brian Cashman revealed the exact terms of what he offered to Aaron Judge, if you ever do that, I will hang a Coach K poster, which knowing me would never happen otherwise. So the ball's now in your court. It's so tempting. Uh, it really is. Yeah. Um, but but I, um, like I said, I got I to gotta stick to what I believe, which is that it's really for them to speak about it. It's, it's not our place to get into detail about those things. How difficult is it towing the line with, players like that that you've gotten to know as people they've been super important to this organization and then kind of drawing that line in the sand of this is business this is what we're willing to offer and try not to hurt feelings I mean that must not be an easy uh, thing to deal with it's really hard it's it's one of the hardest things that we do um, and I don't look in the mirror every night thinking that I did it perfectly on that given day um, you know this is I think one of the challenges uh, that we all have in these jobs and and I think just because you know, sometimes we make transactions that might seem, uh, you know, kind of ruthless or without emotion that people think that we don't care. We actually do quite a lot. And it's not like we turn off our emotions. You just have to find a way to set them aside when you're doing what's best for the organization. Uh, but that's difficult because, you know, I, especially with those guys, you know, they obviously predated me here by quite a bit. I came in here already knowing how much they meant to the organization and then being around them, seeing them, developing that respect for them professionally, personally, getting to know them. It makes all that harder. Um, but we still need to do the right thing for the organization. Now, in this case, look, we want them here. Uh, it, you know, and that we're all aligned in. Uh, it's really just a question of the business side of it and finding something that fits for everybody. Obviously, you made the big commitment to Trevor Story, six years, $140 million. Is it feasible to have an infield where you have him as a $23 million a year guy, plus Rafi making whatever he is and Xander making a ton, and then you know all these intriguing infield prospects? Where do they fit into that mix? Do you look at that all that as like a good problem to have, or, or how do you view that? Well, there's never, there's no such thing as having too many good players. Right. Um, you, you can always, uh, if that is the problem you end up having, it usually solves itself. And if not, you can always uh, find ways to solve the problem. But, you know, with respect to Trevor, that's something we talked about when pursuing him. And we wouldn't have done anything with him or any other player that would cut off avenues for those other two guys to be here with us. Obviously, all of this really gets back to the foundation. And over time, are we producing enough young talent from within our own organization to surround those established players we have, especially if they're making a lot of money. Uh, that's, that's true in any market. It doesn't matter what your payroll is. You need to have that constant flow of young talent, that foundation to make those other commitments worth it. I, I would argue you can be more aggressive with those other commitments when you have that young talent coming because that's going to enable you to be able to build a really good team around those guys. And turning to the 2022 team, you know, obviously spring training was unlike anything we've seen. The build-up, all the moves, you know, you made not just a story move, but a couple other signings and obviously working on the Whitlock extension, different things. Do you feel like 
you have a complete team, a complete roster heading into the season? Well, it depends what you mean. I mean, I, I, I like our team. I think we have a good team. Um, you know, Alex said this a lot about the 2021 Red Sox. And I think it's true about us this year. It's not a perfect team. We're good, but we, you know, we're not perfect. And when we play well, we can beat anybody. Uh, but obviously, you know, there's going to be different things that happen on a given day where sometimes we might not uh, be humming on all cylinders. So I think that over the course of the year, there are some guys who are not on this roster right now that have a chance to contribute and help. And we know that the way the season plays out, whether it's through them forcing their way here or whether it's through different things happening on our major league club, we're going to need those guys. And so with that, we're also continuing to look outside the organization as we do at all times to continue to add players to the core and, and you know, field the best roster we can to compete this year and beyond. And when you look at the bullpen, is this, I think from the outside, it seems like a very unsettled group. Is that kind of how you look at it too? Do you feel like guys need to, you know, fight for roles a little more than you would like at this time of year? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it doesn't line up to where you know exactly who's going to pitch in every inning or every situation. Uh, in some ways, that's not ideal, but it also speaks to the fact that we did bring in uh, different guys who are talented, and it's going to take some time, and we're not the only organization in this situation where early in the season you're sorting through, and you know Alex and Bushy and the staff are sorting through how they want to use these different guys. And we've actually seen in these first few games there is talent out there, and we, we do believe these guys are going to be capable of getting outs and getting big outs. But how exactly it lines up, what the best alignment is, how that takes shape over the course of the year – uh, as we learn how best to use everybody, you know that that's gonna that's gonna move and change a little bit. But that's not a bad thing because it means there's room for guys to grow. And Alex said this the other day, but how huge of a role does Matt Barnes have in setting that structure and a rebound from him? Yeah, really big. Um, you know, obviously Matt had such a wild 2021 in so many ways. I mean, you look at when you look at it on paper and you look at 2021, you could just say, oh, it's another ho-hum, consistent, really good Matt Barnes here. He's been one of the most consistent relievers in baseball when you look at it on paper. Obviously, the highs were super high, and then we know what the lows looked like. Uh, you know, I, We have a lot of faith that he's going to be good going forward, but we saw, even when he was just unavailable because of the back issue in New York, what that did to you know, the roles with everybody else. And so having him in the spot he's been in for the last X number of years for this organization where he can get big outs for you. Not so focused on the role just as much as he's a guy who can get huge, huge outs in critical games. And he's done that. He's done it on the biggest stage. So we know he can do it, and having him available to do that is, uh, is huge for us. When you look at the outfield mix, I think when you signed Trevor, the consensus, I think, was, okay, they're, they might need a right-handed outfield bat. How much of you know not pursuing that externally came with just seeing how Christian could handle it? And was it like a thing where, okay, if he looks good out there, we're set, and if he doesn't, we're going to go after somebody? Is that oversimplifying it? It definitely helped that he looked comfortable. I mean, really from day one, you know, I've been around situations where you put an infielder in the outfield, and a couple days into it, you're just thinking, man, this is not going to work mm -hmm. at all. Uh, and he has looked comfortable, and getting his first taste of game action doing it uh, in Yankee Stadium on a Sunday night is not necessarily ideal. But he played well. I mean, not even obviously there were a couple of really difficult plays that he wasn't quite able to make. But even plays that look routine, like that ball Gallo smoked that was top spun right at him, that's not the easiest ball off the bat to read. Uh, and he read it no sweat. Uh, that's really encouraging. But, you know, even as we were looking at that, you know, you know we're always going to be looking to add talent, add, add different guys to the organization. So it wasn't so much an either-or. Uh, we were looking at it all. But it really, really helps uh, that Christian looks so comfortable out there. And the other thing I would say about that, 
a lot of players in Christian's situation with when we were pursuing Trevor and then when we got him would have handled that situation very differently from the way he handled it. He was gung-ho about going to the outfield. He wants to contribute. He's going to contribute. He could not have handled that situation better. Is he faster than he looks, I guess? I mean, is that part of the – I think if you look at the sprint speed and stuff, it's actually like – kind of surprising that he is as fast as he is yeah it's you know some of it is uh his instincts too just feel for the game that i think you know the guys with good instincts it plays in the infield and it can play in the outfield too i mean the best example we have of that on our team is kike who kind of plays the outfield like an infielder and his jumps are as good as anybody in the game uh and he's another guy who does not necessarily have the most straight ahead the best straight ahead speed but he plays the outfield like someone who's a lot faster than he is because of how he how he moves when you look around the league and and are talking on a day-to-day basis now obviously spring training was as busy transaction wise as we're ever going to see it are we back at like a normal time frame or are, are the talks like still tr- more trade talks going on than you normally see for you know april 11th april 12th it's more normal i mean the one thing that uh is a factor here is we are going to have a roster cut down in yeah. the middle of the season we thought we were going to have that in 2020. It didn't end up playing out that way. We've never experienced that. So there are going to be different things percolating this month with teams looking ahead to that and what it might mean for them. Obviously, uh, some of that uh, you know, around the league, there's going to be players that get hurt, and that may take care of some of the log jams. But there are going to be teams that want to get ahead of that. And so I think there will be more talks than usual at a time like this. But we are back in a more normal rhythm where everybody is watching their clubs play, navigating a lot of the early season ups and downs, the bumps and bruises, and learning what they have. Maybe with you know a guy here who you uh, know and Austin Meadows being the exception, it didn't seem like there was a lot of that last-second movement before opening day. Do you think that's a product of 28-man rosters? Teams don't you know have as many guys they need to you know find spots for? Yeah, that definitely, I think, played into it. Uh, my bet would be quite a bit around the league. Uh, that and just generally speaking, coming off a short spring, uh, knowing we are in for quite the marathon, uh, if you have a way to keep everybody around, uh, even if you have uh, so-called excess, you're going to look to do it, at least for this for this next month. Let's turn to you for a second. Um, obviously, I think the joke since you've been here is that what else could possibly happen between two managerial searches and the pandemic and the lockout and everything? Do you feel like you're finally settled into okay this is now normal i can just do my job without these you know kind of sideshow distractions do you feel like you're finally there i just assume nothing will ever be normal again <laughs> and i just roll with that um you know, all joking aside you know I, I it is something that uh i think has been true of a lot of and it was true last year of our whole group there you know you have to embrace the craziness that comes with playing in boston so i've that has certainly been true of my job in the time that i've been here uh, and that doesn't make every day the easiest, but when you step back and you look at the whole experience, really what it comes down to is if you are enjoying doing it with the people that you're doing it with, you feel like you can navigate anything. Uh, that doesn't make every day easy, like I said, or and, you know, obviously there have been some really hard days, but when you believe in what you're doing, uh, when you feel supported, when you enjoy the people that you're doing it with, uh, you, just, you just roll with it. How would you say, compared to what you thought it would be, is it is it like i mean what's different than what you expected and what's similar one of the things that kind of surprised me in some ways was you know were the similarities and most of all i think culturally it's obviously a different group of people a different organization 
But, you know, I grew up in an organization that was very close-knit um, where we all took our work very personally. We really cared about each other. We felt that you know, almost like family to each other over the years, you know, doing what we did with the Rays. Um, and even with people coming and going, that feeling never left. And I know it's something they still have, and it's, it's part of why they're successful. And, you know, I'd heard about that here. But coming here and actually feeling it, even being new, was not necessarily something I expected. You know, I, I came here and I, I saw, okay, if these folks that I work with, my new teammates, are with each other, you know, a way, in a way that I, I'm used to. Now, I, I, I was new here. You know, I still am relatively new here. I have to earn my way into that. It doesn't matter what title or what job people give you. You can't earn people's respect and trust and their closeness. But knowing that that is the culture here, uh, that was something that I hoped for, but uh, honestly, that was more familiar than I uh, than I really even expected. Now there are plenty of differences. Uh, there's just there's just a lot more, um, you know, that surrounds uh, this organization, and so much of that is good. I mean, I tell you what, we had last fall um, that atmosphere. I've never experienced anything like that. It was amazing, and you know that is kind of like there's. I don't know if there's any other organization, but if there are, there are not many that can that have that. And, and that was just incredible. And it doesn't matter how much you've experienced it as an opponent, how much you think you know what that will feel like. To have that be our home environment last fall was just unreal. How have you felt the pressure, the media coverage, all that, you know, that Boston stigma has actually compared to what you might have thought it was from the outside? It, it kind of is what I thought it was from the outside. I mean, there's a lot of eyes on this team. Um, you know, you guys in the media, um, you know, cover this team from every angle, do an incredible job of it. Um, nothing goes unnoticed. Uh, and Except our your handshake with Garrett Whitlock the other <laughs> day, coming off the field apparently, right? Yeah, that was, well, that could have been anything. That could have yeah. been just a free opening day. Uh, but, yeah, no, I did I did get to get to congratulate Garrett in the corner of the dugout about an hour before game time, and there were, there were plenty of uh, – plenty of media and public that theoretically could have seen it and speculated something, but no one knew what was going on. So, uh, you know, we, we, we snuck that one uh, by everybody, but that doesn't happen often. And the way our fans care, our fans care so much, nobody cares more. And uh, they just want us to be good. And so you feel that. I mean, it is everything that I thought it was. And, you know, feeling it obviously is no substitute. There's no substitute for actually actually going through it and living it and feeling it and you know that's one of the things that we talk about a lot is we really want to deliver what people want uh but we want to do that in the big picture by delivering a winning product that doesn't mean that every single day week or month we're going to deliver the transaction that they want or that we're going to do things that in the moment are always going to make people happy uh and the tension between making sure we're doing the right thing uh, but also delivering ultimately that winning product that, that our fans want and that they're paying for and that they deserve is, you know, something that really is a constant uh, tug of war, really for every organization, but it's so magnified here because of how much people care about this team. I think Will Fleming said this on the radio the other day, but if you could just recount, there was some story where you went home recently and some guy, some random guy out in public started you know, chirping at you about either Jose Ramirez or a Devers extension, something like that. Yeah, I, you know, that's again, that's that comes with the territory. Yeah. And it just speaks to people really care what we do here. Um, it's, you know, obviously there's 30 baseball markets where, well, I guess there's not 30 because there's markets that are shared, but uh, every team has fans that care a lot. Um, I have lived that, I know that. But in Boston, it, it's just taken to another level. Uh, and it is, 
it's everywhere and you never forget how important this is. I might have asked you this in the past. You obviously don't have an official Twitter account, but do you have one of those burners where you're following news or seeing what people are saying, anything like that? You don't have to give us the name. Yeah, so I have the ability to follow. I never tweet, um, but I do, uh, you know, occasionally you want to see, you know, it's a good way to get information. It's also, you can get sucked into it and that's not good, uh, but it is a good way to get information. You just need to be able, like we we all do with all the information we get to sift through uh, what's real, what's telling, and, uh, you know, what you need to ignore. Have you ever searched your name on Twitter? Uh, I'll be honest with you, I have. Yeah. Um, You know, it's not something that, I or anybody should make a habit of. It's not always a pleasant thing to do. Yeah, I've uh, I've talked to some counterparts about that here or there, so I'm not going to lie to you. It's not necessarily the thing that the proudest of, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure I would believe anybody who hasn't right. or who claims that they haven't, um, just out of curiosity. Um, you know, it's uh, I guess it depends on the day, right? What you're going to find. So you've been in this division for a long time, as everybody knows. So many years with the Rays. Is this as good as the AL East has been since you can remember? It's up there. I mean, it's always good. You know, when I started in the game, obviously you had these two behemoths in Boston and New York. And what we were trying to do, you know, with the Rays was basically trying to get ourselves into the conversation, and we were able to do that. But, you know, even then, I think people underrated, uh, like in the 2000s, how good those Toronto teams were. Um, you know, there, there were instances... And, you know, I think we're kind of back in that situation now. We were in that situation last year where you could look around the league at really good teams, playoff teams, and say, man, if they were playing in our division, they might have finished fifth. And so that's nothing new. It kind of goes it goes in cycles in terms of how many teams are in the conversation. Yeah. But what never changes is that the division is always good. Um, if you want to run away with this division like the Red Sox did in 2018, you've got to be really, really good. Uh, and even then, there was a 100-win team in the division, and there was a 90-win team in the division. And um, you have to really be outstanding to own this division. The Rays really pulled away from everybody last year and did that. Um, but it's always good. And I, I, I don't. I know I'm biased because I've spent my whole career in the division, but it's you cannot overstate uh, just how much you have to be on your game to compete in this division. So that's an argument for realignment, right? (laughs) Well, whatever it is, I mean, look, we'll play the schedule that's given to us. I mean, that's really, you know, no one is going to feel sorry for us. No one should feel sorry for us. I do think it can bring the best out of you. You know, I think um, I've experienced this really on both sides. I thought in 2008 with the Rays when we first got good, I don't know that we would have been able to beat a really, really good Red Sox team in the ALCS that I think still might be underappreciated, even though they were coming off a World Series win. That team was great. And the fact that we had to kind of sharpen ourselves playing them throughout the whole year, it gave a young team the confidence of knowing we could do this. Now, that didn't guarantee anything. You still have to beat them in that series. But if we hadn't, if we had been coming from another an, another situation where we hadn't played those guys, I don't know that we would have had the confidence in that group to, to, to roll into Fenway like we did for those first two and a half games and just dominate that team uh, until they came back and uh, and got us. But... Uh, you know, and same thing last year. Uh, the Rays really had our number throughout the regular season, but we had seen them a lot, and I don't think there was any doubt going into that series that we could beat them, that we knew them well enough to beat them. Uh, it was really just a question of executing on the field. Is that series win one of the most satisfying moments of your career, considering the history, considering everything, or um, was it just 
as sweet as any other playoff series win might be. No, it was it was extra special, um, and I I mean you, you, I look across the way in that organization, and like I, I couldn't I, I grew up in such a special place, and the people over there I will always love, um, but you know when you, you, you when you're competing against your friends, it adds an extra edge to it to everybody for everybody, and you know it definitely did for me. I actually one thing that struck me, it seemed you know I was the one guy that had come from that organization, but. It seemed like for our whole group it was really special, and I just take that as you know testament uh, in some ways to the vibe we had the year we were having, uh, but also the respect that our group had for that team and knowing how good they were and that it was an accomplishment to beat them. Speaking of the division, what do you think about this new schedule where instead of 19 games against the AL East, each AL East team, you're going to have 14 and then you know play everybody in the National League at least once a year? Do you think that's good for the game? Do you think there's going to be more parity that way, or what are your thoughts? Well, if you're in the AL East, um, this is maybe a cousin of the Twitter name search question. If you're not being honest with yourself, yeah. if you say you're not happy, you play this division less frequently. Um, you know, With no disrespect to anybody outside of the AL East, uh, us not beating up on each other to quite the same degree will probably help everybody. I do think it's good for the game. Uh, I think it's good for fans in every market, fans of every team, that every year you will get to see all of the teams in baseball, uh, even if sometimes you know when you talk about interleague, they're road games. Uh, but you will get to see them, and you don't just have to hear about these players. You don't just have to search them you know, on your MLB app or whatever. You get to see your team play them, and that's pretty cool. And last one I have for you. In 2022, what do you define as a successful season for the Red Sox? Is it still building out a short-term winner and a long-term product? Or is it because of last year and the success, it does it become championship or bust at some point for you? So I remember last year I got asked this question at the beginning of the season. And obviously coming off of 2020, the question I think was, you know, when it was asked, carried something different with it. And my answer uh, was basically that regardless of what happened in 2021, including if we won the whole thing, I wanted to come out of 2021 feeling better about the future than when we started it. Um, and I do feel we were able to accomplish that. And obviously we, we won quite a bit along the way, even though we did fall short in the end. Uh, so I think it's really important that we still have that same goal this year. We just talked about the division. It's not just that those teams are good right now. Those teams are all built to last. They have good farm systems. I mean, even the Orioles, who aren't in a winning position right now, are getting a lot better underneath. So we are not going to be able to have the lasting success that we want to have. We're not going to be able to win as much as we want unless we are really taking care of our long-term picture and we feel like we're constantly adding to it. You know, there are obviously, you know, there are points along that when you say, okay, you know, when you're in a trade deadline situation, you know, I know last year we obviously didn't do this as much as people wanted perhaps at the deadline, but we did, uh, you know, make some short-term oriented moves, you know, Kyle being, you know, the, the, the most prominent of those. Uh, so there are times when you turn the dial a little bit, but in the big picture, it's really important that we come out of this year uh, feeling that our long-term position is even better. Now, having said all that, we got close last year and, you know, we're here to win championships and it sucked to lose, even though we know we had a, a year that I think we could all look at and say, you know what, this is a good year for the Boston Red Sox. It sucked to be handing out, you know, those sad hugs in the visiting clubhouse in Houston. There is nobody here who wants to feel that again. I think if we do not win the whole thing, we're going to be disappointed. So we can still have those long-term goals that I think are really important and that we're going to work really hard at. But, 
for anybody, you know, including myself who had not tasted that as a member of this organization, once you do and once you know what it feels like to be on that run and then what it feels like to fall short, um, there's no going back in terms of, you know, what, where you aim your sights. That's, I think, all we have for Mr. Heim. I'm Heim Blue and the Red Sox Chiefs Baseball Officer this afternoon. Thanks so much. You bet. Thanks, Chris.